Welcome to the Stronger Business Podcast. This is part two with Dell Williams. If you hadn't heard it, the first part yet, go back and listen to it right now. Absolutely excellent. But for those who've already heard part one, you're telling me to shut up and roll into the conversation and I'm going to do it. So here's part two with Dell Williams. When a business is thinking about this process and, and thinking about, okay, this, this again, sounds amazing. Is there a prerequisite for success that you see to you need to have read the book? Do you need to make sure you have 10 extra hours a week? Do you need $50,000 capital to start this process? What is there anything there that has to be in place or needs to be in place before going down this road? They have to be willing to do the work. Okay. I can't, I can't really complicate it more than that. <laughs> yes, there is an investment. Okay. But we're talking about, you know, the investment here you know, on, on a yearly basis for two years is is a, a lot lower than most people's lowest paid employee. Uh-huh. Sure. Okay. So, and for that, they get a former CEO of a Fortune 1000 company and the best operating system in the world. So, you know, I, I, I have a lot of confidence. That's a, that's a hell of a sales pitch there. That's, that's like good. the best I've ever heard. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. It's, it's like know, a it's, it, it, Every one of my colleagues uh, are it, it just – Unbelievable. You know, one of the things that we do is eat our own cooking, right? So, a mm-hmm. um, couple of weeks, I go down to Tampa, and we have what we call quarterly collaborative exchanges. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm part of a community of 500 U.S. implementers around the country, and I, I cannot tell you that I'm going to be the best fit for every business owner. Uh, but um, if I'm not, I can find somebody who is. But but the main thing that we have to start with, right, is just so our ideal client is you know 10 to 250 employees. Um, they are, you know, willing to be open and honest. <clears throat> Again, they don't necessarily want to be the genius with a thousand helpers. They, they, uh, they, they actually, they want to and are emotionally capable of, of, of letting go of the vine and, and creating a great leadership team. Um, and they have um, a sincere desire to see their organization achieve its full potential. So, uh, it's amazing to me how many business owners that I meet that don't meet that criteria. Okay, so they can all afford it because they're, they're, they're wasting a lot more money now yeah. than implementing a good operating system would actually cost them. But they need to be willing to do the work because you know, I cannot want it more than they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I've, I've only had to uh, excuse myself from a couple of client relationships and it was because they, uh, they they just couldn't bring the discipline of of this to bear uh, unless somebody was looking over their shoulder. And, and I, you know, I cannot again. A fundamental part of coaching is not rescuing people. Yeah. Right. Because you got to, you know, Kirby says it all the time. You got to get in the reps. Put put in the reps right? Re- repetition is the mother of learning, right? So we, um, we love working with people who understand that. If you've ever had to learn a musical instrument, you know, uh, or learn a foreign language, you know, the first year sounds ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my kids learned, my oldest daughter played violin, in that first year, we got a violin. I just, I, I just wanted to move out. You know? But then all of a sudden, it started sounding better. And then we went to a recital that second year, and I, I learned that you know 
I think one of God's hidden angels are junior high school uh, orchestra teachers, right? Because they have to listen to that early. I'm like a junior high school orchestra teacher, right? I, I'm, I'm there with the baton when it's just cacophony, right? Where it's just like noise. And, but I'm also there to tell them, look, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, you're getting better. You're getting better. And they do. And it's amazing. What happens after the first 90 days or so, they, they immediately start seeing that they're saving some time. They're solving some issues, right? Stuff that had been recurring issues or lingering for you know, months and years are, are just are starting to come into focus. Uh, you know, they've got a much better grip on um, some of these you know, key metrics in their business and there's a common understanding of what drives success in the company. And they start feeling some momentum. Once they start feeling some momentum, then they love coming to these sessions, right? Because they're in a car, it's going 100 miles an hour down the highway, right? And, and, and what we do in the quarterlies is make them roll down the window and stick their head out to feel how fast they're going. <laughs> <laughs> and it's exhilarating. Yeah. That's an opportunity as well <clears throat> to see the progress, right? I mean, if you're going from one quarter to the next and actually having a chance to go off-site and be like, let's talk about, you know, what do we look like these last 90 days? Because it's so easy just to stay focused on the next obstacle or honestly the frustrations versus looking back and seeing some of the gains that you've made. And then having a third party that's helping you out would be able to like, hey, let's talk about it. I think one of the things that with to me that's such a fun or funny or interesting thing about business is that we have business plans and we have financials and we have so much thing operating systems, like so much of what we would think would be just like, you know, good logic is what wins and loses in business. And it's like that's that maybe a half truth. Like it's so emotional. If you, if I'm sitting down and talking about all these things, there's gonna be some frustrations. If I'm sitting with my team, there's typically gonna be, you know, some frustrations. And having that third party to facilitate, like, you're not emotionally engaged in my company when you're having the, when you're asking these questions that we may be afraid to ask because I don't want to offend Chad by asking this. You're like, I don't know if I'm gonna offend Chad by by asking this or not. Like, this is a good question to ask. I think the emotional piece of business and and that push you or gave us earlier like you need to have a coach you need to have a peer group those are emotional things that helps you not feel so alone not feel so like all the pressure and weight is on me i think that's an awesome thing that again in business we think oh business it's logical it's sensible it's like it's really emotional there's a lot of emotion that goes into this i started doing this work when i saw my last business and uh, and we started you know our kind of empty nest phase of life. And full disclosure, <clears throat> I'm 67 years old. I got eight grandkids, and I look at my precious grandchildren, and I think about how their careers are, are going to unfold, and what they're going to do, and what the American dream is going to mean to them. And I really worry. So, you know, our highest best use right now. Uh, if we're in a position to do so, is to, to help this generation become better entrepreneurs because chances are they're not going to have somebody hold their hand, give them a training program, right? Internships, unless you went to an Ivy League school with a silver spoon, you're not going to have anybody guide you into the corridors of success, right? You're going to have to scratch it out. I look mm -hmm. at my grandkids and they're either going to be working for entrepreneurs or they're going to have to become entrepreneurs. So I have a real simple purpose, help people be better at this. Because it's hard. It's painful. It's all emotional. So 
if we can help them make it do it better, if we can help them get through these problems better, whether they're family businesses and, you know, and you don't want to upset Uncle Tony and you can't fire your son-in-law as a sales manager because your wife would, you know, never speak to you again. <laughs> you know, those are the issues that we see mm-hmm. and they're emotional, right? So what we try to do is take the emotion out of making the decisions for the greater good. Because if everybody is focused on what the greater good is mm-hmm. and we agree on that, we can we we have each other's back, and um, and and that becomes liberating in a way. So uh, I agree a hundred percent. This is not just logic. No, we're not Spock. You know, our lizard brain controls everything that we do. Right, our rational brain wraps some you know uh, wrap, wraps some justification yeah. around it. We yeah. ultimately act on what we feel. Uh, and then we make some sort of excuse about why we acted the way we did, and and we call it logic, <laughs> right? But you know, our, our our amygdala, you know, basically rules us, and it you know it 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 is what triggers our fight or flight uh, chemicals, you know, cortisol, adrenaline, right? And um, what we have to do in this process is simply make people, you know, aware that it's normal to feel strongly and it's okay, right? <clears throat> and there's, you know, there's dopamine and oxytocin and serotonin. These are the love and feel good, you know, chemicals. That that's great. Good coaching, good bonding, openness, honesty, exhibiting vulnerability. That's what creates human bonds, right? Mm-hmm. So we said vision, traction, healthy. This is the healthy part. Right, the healthy part <clears throat> really is about getting people to open up with each other because oftentimes leadership teams and, and yeah. down south I got roofers right who are just if they're not giving each other a hard time, right, and and calling each other names, you know it's just they they wear this shield of you know like masculine you know F one fifty four four wheel armor right yeah absolutely right oh that's so good so so that that armor doesn't help them solve mm-hmm. problems right and and you know the pregnant pause is my friend right when I ask a question right that you know it, this. Because there's no question, there's no issue where if you don't address it directly, my, my, it may, you know, it, it, it may hurt, but it doesn't harm if we know that we're mm-hmm. coming from a place of, of, of willful trust and commitment to the greater good. So, you know, a, a team is just a, a fake construct. You know, you can't be a team unless you share the same goals. Yes. Right. Yes, that, I think, and that's that's the problem I see so often that I face is how do you get everybody pointed to the same goal? Because if you know if everybody's got the same goal, it becomes easy to support and motivate and help and lead. But there's and how's that goal created? Life and busyness. Oh, yeah. so you, you, look, we have a, two, we, a thousand different oh, goals. I know there. one of my yeah. struggles sometimes as a visionary yeah. is being like, who creates the goal? Am I trying to win these people over to the goal I have and the vision I have, or am I willing to be vulnerable enough to help, like, maybe help guide the team in creating a vision? I think this is a challenging point for any businesses, again, trying to, like, hey, let me inspire you to chase down the goals that I have and try to get you on board with them versus being able to get ownership of the yeah. goals. I'd love to hear what you have to say in regards to that because I think it's just an ever-present problem with, with entrepreneurs and business ownership and leading their teams. 
Wow, what, what a great question. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, if they're your goals, they can't be our goals, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So um, you know, pride of authorship has killed more great ideas and great businesses than any other single sin. <laughs> so, and, and, and entrepreneurial founders have nothing if not pride of authorship, okay? But, but if they recognize they are a visionary, and, uh, and we have tests. We have the, one of my colleagues, um, um, Mark C. Winters, wrote a great book you know, called uh, Rocket Fuel with, yeah. with Gino, which is about the visionary-integrator relationship. And visionaries are <clears> self-aware <throat> enough to know that you know, they need people to help them. They need, they need people to help execute on the vision. So uh, wouldn't you want the people that you are charging with, with bringing your vision to life to help co-author that with you? So you asked me a question earlier about who I work with. If, 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 if the visionary or if the founder isn't willing to submit vulner, you know, in a vulnerable way, in an authentic way, to the input from his team, uh, then this will not work, right? Because he, he will, he, he will want to grab the steering wheel you know, every 10 seconds if somebody he thinks is steering in the wrong direction. So... Um, we, we have a, a, a very intense uh, two-day vision building process, uh, which kind of breaks this process up into, into uh, what I call a structured interview, right? So as a facilitator and, and a coach, uh, I ask the leadership team, you know, eight questions, and to the degree that I can get them to answer those eight questions in absolute unison and be 100% on the same page with their answers, well, then we have a clear vision. Mm-hmm. So what are they? What are our core values? What's our core focus? What is our 10-year target? What's our marketing strategy? What is our three-year picture? Our one-year plan? What are our quarterly rocks? And what's on our issues list? This takes two days, right? And it is a discovery process, right? So when it comes to core values, I go into so many businesses with these great pictures of mountain climbers and eagles on the wall with words like you know perseverance and integrity. It makes me want to vomit. You know, because some HR manager wrote the core values, right? And the team knows it's disingenuous. So if you had to write, if you have to buy your core values from Hallmark, that's sad, right? So, <laughs> so, but oftentimes it's just as bad because one person wrote them and they're all aspirational, mm-hmm. right? Pat, Pat Lencioni has this great concept called values traps, you know, where he's, so um, we, we teach a team how to avoid that stuff. So we, we, we do a deep dive. You know, what are the characteristics that they literally see reflected in the people that they love most on their team, right? And we do some word mapping. And we really come up with some very, very powerful value statements that the team recognizes, not authors, right? So what we're doing is holding the mirror up to the organization to understand what are the real core values of the team as we see them, right? Because if, 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 they, if they're not exhibited, pretty routinely by the people we love the most, how can they be core? And then I test the leadership team against those values because if the leadership team can't self-assess and validate that those are, those are core values, then they, they could never walk the talk. They could never walk the So we, core value is very important. Next core focus is that intersection of what Simon Sinek calls our why, right? Mm-hmm. And then this niche that Jim Collins calls hedgehog concept, right? So. You know, what's the dent we want to place in the universe? What gives us joy and satisfaction and purpose, right? And then what is this unique thing that we're, you know, our DNA is encoded to do better than anybody else? And once we put that thing together, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very powerful core focus. It helps us make decisions, right, about what not to chase and what to say no to so we don't get 
caught up chasing shiny stuff, <laughs> right? Then we focus on the 10-year target. Sometimes it's five years, sometimes it's 30 years. My, my clients decide the time frame. It depends on their life stage and, and, and what they're trying to build to so that we can all align ourselves around getting there. And that, that becomes a very powerful thing. How do we define success? Is it, is it financial success? Is it impact? Is it industry share? Is it geographic footprint? What is it? It's different for every yeah. company. And if the team isn't involved in kind of participating that and, and mentally sharing that, then it becomes the intellectual property of one person, right? So, you know, Gino talks about his dad having this saying that, you know, do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> Wait a second. That that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, Do you see what two I'm senses saying? we're talking about here. <laughs> but, but when you think more carefully about it, it's it's so powerful, right? Because if you can't see what I'm saying, how are you going to know when you're there? I love that. So so from from there, we we get into marketing strategy. We define you know who we're talking to and what we're going to say. Right? We talk about, we define the ideal customer in terms of demographic, geographic, psychographic, what's important to them, where are they, what do they want, and then you know, you know, what do they look like, whether it's a business or a consumer market. Then we talk about you know, our three uniques, you know, these kind of unique operating or unique um, uh, selling propositions or core competencies, and then a proven process diagram, uh, and then some sort of you know, pledge, promise, or guarantee. Then we move into three-year picture. Three-year picture is really about envisioning what the organization is going to look like on the way to that destination. And, and this is simply about getting everyone to articulate, and I get them all to you know, put, put together a laundry list of what the organization is going to look like in three years. And then we, we, then we put that into a, a document with 10 to 15 bullet points, starting with revenue, profit, any key measurables, and then 10 to 15 bullet points so that we have an absolute clear mental picture of, of what the organization looks like. And, and that's got a real powerful benefit because if we know where that is and what it looks like, then we're more likely to get there. Secondly, it makes it so much easier to do one-year planning because now you can see the stepping stones. Mm -hmm. And then we boil it down to um, a, a one-year plan, um, which sets the first, we call it a one-year plan because there's three to seven goals for that year, right? To get that first stepping stone, that first tent pole erected. Right, so notice that I said three to seven, not thirty-seven. Right, uh, we don't try to boil the ocean. Right, in this process, less is always more. Um, you know, if I had to embroider EOS on a throw pillow, it would say, "Do less, better." I like that. Right. Yeah. And uh, and then and then we, uh, with that in place, you know, we take it down to the ground to, to what matters most for the company, which is what we call rocks. These are the three to seven most important things. We got to get done this quarter, right? To execute on those goals and to keep, you know, keep the boat moving faster. So, um, and then the eighth and final question is if this is our vision, those seven statements are all aligned with the team, then what are all the obstacles, barriers, imperfections, what's slowing us down, holding us back, ticking us off, taking too long, costing too much, and that's just building the issues list, right? Because every business has issues. You know what that is? Fuel. They're like your nuclear fuel rods. If you don't have any issues, how are you going to go anywhere, right? Because it's, it's, the, it's the solutions that we come up to the issues that, that eliminate friction, eliminate confusion, create clarity, drive momentum. So we teach them an issue-solving tool. 
um, which is about time for another conversation, but it's we, we teach them how to solve issues so that they can actually feel progress and create that Supreme Court, right, to, to create policies and process. So with those eight questions answered, we, we now have a crystal clear vision. And then it changes because you're in an entrepreneurial business, Dodo, right? <laughs> We're going to have to make yeah. sure we update. So this is a yeah. dynamic planning tool, right? Just yeah. because we thought, you know, we, we were all aligned today doesn't mean we're going to stay aligned for and 90 You're bringing days. more people in as you grow. And so that's so, the so, part so, where that. And, yeah. and teams do change, right? Sometimes we have, we, 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 we find through this process that we don't have the right people in the right seats. And that's a good thing, right? Because we want to set them free to do what you know God really wanted them to do. What's what is their highest best use? Misery is being in a job that you can't succeed in, right? Mm-hmm. So we we have to we use the accountability chart to define the requirements, what we really want. And then once we've kind of set the structural framework and what we need in that job, what's the ideal? You know, your HR spec sheet, right? Terrific. Then who's the right person for that? And, uh, and that's a process. Sometimes that takes time. Sometimes we define seats that we need that we don't have. And that's inevitable in growth, right? You know, I'm, I'm the owner, I'm in the finance seat. Okay, do you always want to be in the finance seat? You know, or do you want to become the full-time controller? Well, no, okay, great, we need a controller seat. Let's put that there. Well, we don't have a controller, I can't afford one. Well, that's just an issue, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> then, then we decide when is the right and best time to start you know, unpacking that lack of controller issue. Okay, do you need a fractional? You want an intern, right? You want to outsource it? You know, I got 16 people in, uh, you know, in India, you know, who can do basic stuff. So there's different solutions, you know, for yeah. every position, right? There's there's no either or. I I can't afford this. Is something I hear yeah, all the time. It's not a zero or a ten. There's all it's, sorts of options. Listen, in the I, you know, I, I tell my clients, uh, you're never going to have enough resources, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> But you can always be more resourceful. Oh, that's good. Oh, I like that. I feel like the hardest part of this, at least for me with you know going through the EOS process, is I'm 41 years old, and there's this question of like, hey, 10 years, what does it look like in 10 years? And I'm like, we well, you know at this point at 41, it's somewhat easier than it was at 31 because you know, I'm like, hey, I'm 10 years into this thing. Who knows how at 20 years in, it's easier to see like, okay, I think 10 years, this is what it means. But I have the challenge on that, getting the leadership team to really be able to suspend belief, you know, because it's all about like 10 years is a long time. Like, where could we be? Where do we want to be? Do you find that companies struggle with that piece of it or is it? Yeah, that's, pretty- that, that's, uh, that, that's where I can add a lot of value. Okay. Okay. Because um, I, I, I ask them questions across a kind of a range of human desires and as long as they're human beings sitting in front of me I can usually get them to talk about what they want <laughs> <laughs> every now and then there's a, every now and then Spock's sitting there though right <laughs> and you know what that that's okay you know that sometimes the quiet one has the most insight and that's my job as a facilitator to make sure that Spock speaks up every now and then I call it the belly button effect you know it's funny you can find out what the power dynamics and the influences in a room by just watching the belly buttons you know, sometimes nobody will speak, but uh, all of a sudden they do. They all the belly buttons all turn. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Never <laughs> heard that before. Well, people have you know they, they carry titles, you know, yeah, but yeah. but sometimes your most powerful leaders are invisible, and that's where the belly button rule helps. Hmm. So anyway, yes, sometimes it's, it's hard for people to think this way because we're not used to it, right? Envisioning is a muscle. 
So if you've never practiced using your envisioning muscle, then you're a prisoner of the here and now, right? Mm-hmm. And that means that you're always going to think that 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 this, whatever this is, is touchy-feely, it's a waste of time, you know, it's all dreamy, right? And the only thing important is the urgent, right? So, so, so in, with that mentality, which is common in entrepreneurial teams, you know, get her done, you know, what's important now? The urgent is the enemy of the important. The urgent crowds out the important every single time. You can always ignore what's important to take care of something that's urgent. You can always invent a reason why it is urgent. So what we do is create space in, in this calendar of meetings to acknowledge that working on the business is as or more important than working in the business. Figure out how to give people more time. You've got to give them space to exercise yeah. that envisioning muscle, right? It's, it's called possibility thinking, right? You either have, you, so there's possibility thinking, there's deficit thinking. So I, I try to get them into possibility mode. And sometimes that means throwing a thousand examples out. So, you know, having a, a pretty deep business background and a little gray hair, I can throw a thousand examples out. And usually that stirs the pot and it becomes easy for them to think about what this business might become. Yeah, that definitely makes sense for me. I know one of the things that I would tend to struggle with as the lead of my company when it comes to some of the values creation and all this stuff is on the end of it being, uh, I know that, you know, generationally, so I'm at 41, I'm at the end of generation X, you know, like we're the, the Xennial as they would call it, you know, yeah. so I kind of grew up in both to a degree, but it's recognizing, Hey, people are shifting career so fast, you know, like the, like the millennials are leaving at a three year pace. They're three years, girls in the next thing. There's a piece of it. There's that for me, when, uh, a piece of resistance that I would feel, in regards to having these like deeply emotional questions with, hey, we're going to set the foundation of the business with knowing that people are in and out. And I think, I don't know if other entrepreneurs feel the same way or have that struggle, but it's like, hey, I've been in this thing for 15 years, you know, and like this guy's been in it for two and I'm like, he's probably going to leave in two years. And I understand that, that that's deficit thinking when I'm having that thought. But I, but I also recognize that I battle up against that resistance sometimes when it comes to, you know, the team creating the core values of the organization and things of that nature. Yeah, well, uh, you're a big part of that. You know, the founder of the senior leadership team, uh, once they've discovered and then codified what their core values really, really are, Uh you know, unless the ownership of the business changes and the entire leadership team turns over, those core values typically don't change. You know, here's the thing. it's funny. I was listening to a podcast yesterday. Brandon Adams, Dog Nation. He said, you know, he was interviewing cult- he was interviewing Kirby, and he said, culture travels. Culture travels, right? And um, culture travels over time and space. I've got clients who've expanded regionally, and they've asked the question, how do how do we perpetuate our culture in a different location? And I've had clients change leaders. They said, how do we perpetuate culture over changes in leadership? And, and, and this, is, this is about um, is establishing a, uh, a kind of a, a behavioral code that defines your organization. And it should be an attractive recruiting tool 
right? Your core values should both attract and repel the right and the wrong kind of people, right? So if, 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 if you're interviewing me and you say, hey, Dale, you know, here at Stronger Business, um, you know, we, um, we, we really believe in doing whatever it takes. So here's what that means. And you give me some examples of that. And you go through each of your core values and you deliver this really powerful um, uh, example-based uh, core value speech with anecdotes and stories that bring it to life. I'm either going to lean into that or I'm going to fold my arms and the body language is going to say, you know, gosh, I think this place sounds like some kind of cult. That's okay. You just <laughs> saved yourself a hiring mistake, yeah. right? Because most candidates simply want to be a chameleon to the questions they uh, the questions they're asking you, and we want we're so desperate for people. We basically transmit all this information that they want that they then conform to. So we think that so they think we're the right people. Sure. So um, it's easy to get hired. You just mimic your interviewer. Right. And, and so the interviewer's job is to shut up. Right. So one of my best pieces of coaching advice, it came from one of my colleagues said, you know, have something tattooed inside my forehead. It says W-A-I-T stands for why am I talking? <laughs> right. So in an interview, you know, you're, you're testing for these core values. Uh, you're seeing what their responses are because it, it should be something that is is part of the atmosphere of the business. And that shouldn't change, right? As long as you're part of the business and as long as you're bringing in the right people. Here's the perpetuity question, right? What do you want to build? Do you want to, are you trying to grow and sell? Different kind of business, uh-huh. right? So that, that's, that's we're, we're, we're going for the national championship and I'll, I'm gonna use the portal and NIL as much as I can, right? I'm just gonna plug and play. Just I don't care about culture because this thing is just gonna, once it's off a launch pad and I got private equity money, then I'm on my boat. So that's a different model, mm-hmm. right? If you wanna build a truly great business, you need to think about your employees <clears throat> as being voyagers on, you, on your journey with you for different periods of time. And they all need developmental equity in 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 the in, in the investment they're making in that journey because you're just renting their time mm-hmm. whether it's for a year or for 10 years you're just renting their time so the question for the organization is uh, you know how are we going to make each employee better for the time they've spent here not how can we keep them forever because you won't makes sense right yeah. but but if if a great friend a great friend of mine Walt Brown who I got me into EOS wrote a book called the patient organization he said, you know, everything we do in EOS is basically designed to help leaders answer seven questions and help their employees answer seven questions the same way. First question is, do I believe? Do I believe in the mission that we're here, the problem that we're you know, here, here to solve? Do, do I believe in where we're going? So that's, that's belief. Number two, do I belong? Do my skills and, and abilities find fertile soil here. Can I grow here? So, so do I belong? Number three, do I understand and embrace what I'm held accountable for? Number four, do I understand and embrace how I'm measured? Number five, do I understand how and where I am to be heard? Uh, number six, do I understand how I am to be developed? 
And then finally, number seven is, do I understand how I'm allowed to be balanced? Now, if as a management team, you could say categorically that 100% of the people in this company can answer yes to those seven questions, you've done a good job. If as an employee, I can answer yes to those seven questions, why would I leave? Yeah, it's powerful. That is so good. Yeah. Man, I, the great thing, Dale, with having this conversation with you is that Chad and I know your your backstory. We know that, like your your career history, and we know that you as an EOS, uh, I know I'm going to use the word consultant. I know that's the wrong word to use at this point. We but call ourselves implementers. Implementers. The EOS implementer that you're, a, you know, you bring a ton of value. And so me and Chad just want the conversation to keep going because we feel like we're winning here. This is an economically beneficial thing for us to ask <laughs> you these exactly questions because right. you're not paid to be on this podcast right now. At least I don't think we're getting an invoice. <laughs> <laughs> but with, with landing the plane, as I usually say at the end of the episodes, because Chad loves it so much, it's a core value to land the plane. At the end definitely of the a core value. Right. Chad, I use that as a facilitation technique. You know, because so, we do get storytellers sometimes. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. See, see, Chad, uh, you don't even know the value I'm bringing to this thing, man. With my terminology, my vocabulary. But no, if we we do with stronger business in the podcast, we always ask our guests, like, hey, if, if somebody was listening and they tuned out for a second, and there was just one thing you wanted them to remember. It's like, if you remember this one thing, you can carry it forward. We call it our max out moment because we're trying to get stronger, right? So it's like, right. hey, let's see what what is the strongest statement we can bring. So from that max out moment statement from you, if you could give our entrepreneur audience just one tip to take away from the conversation with you, what would that max out moment be? Uh, you are what you repeatedly do. That's, that's it. That's a that's, that's a tone there. I mean that yeah, I and mean, that's a so you know a, e- EOS is about helping you think about that more carefully. Yeah, and to use the precious minutes you have in your life, um, doing the things that are going to make you freer because people go into business um, ultimately because they want freedom but often they find themselves prisoners of their own business Mm -hmm. because they get caught up in the mechanics of their business Mm -hmm. and they become what they repeatedly do yeah right so what we try to do is change the habit chain, right? And to give them some really, really simple tools to uh, hopefully start a kind of a beneficial chain reaction effect uh, for the organization, which creates more freedom for them, creates more purpose for their leaders, creates more momentum and energy for the organization. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I'd boil it down. That's, that's, that, that's what I think about all the time. I love it. And I don't know a single entrepreneur that doesn't want more freedom and, mm-hmm. and that gets wrapped up in the fires and the business of every day that they never yeah. ask that question or never yeah. think about that. So that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It, it, you know, the, the, the other thing that I think about a lot, because every right now everybody is so desperate for folks, right? And, and uh, mm-hmm. Mike Payton, one of our mentors and um, one of the original U.S. implementers, uh, has a great saying. He says, you know, when you want people really bad, that's what you get. 
And and uh, you know, I've had converse, I've had conversations with a lot of clients who you know they 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 just hang on and hang on. Well, you know, so we, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And how do we change this? And how do we make people accountable? And, and you know, they're not following the process. You know, they they ignore policy. Uh, and you know, you know, the the corollary to you are what you repeatedly do is. Uh, your culture is only as strong as the worst behavior you're willing to tolerate. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's good. Yeah. So, um, you know, nobody should feel guilty for you know, defending the integrity of what they built. Right? I agree. You, you either want to be part of that or you don't. You know, Kirby calls it the standard. <laughs> but, oh, and, I you know, What is yours? What's your standard? Yeah, that's... That puts things in perspective and kind of your role as the owner and entrepreneur and builder of a company and yeah. what decisions you're making to protect the company and everybody else or that's right. one person you know, in the organization. And your leadership team. These yeah. are the people who are there to be stewards of the thing that you built, right? Yeah. So you want to make sure you got the right people in your foxhole. So uh, you guys are great. And thank you. You guys are doing such great work. I appreciate what you're doing. This is, yeah. you know, th- there can't be too many people talking about how to do this better. And uh, I really admire the time and the investment you all have made to bring in so many great folks, and, and thanks for having me. Man, we appreciate that, Dale, and I'll tell you, you get the award for most quotes that I wrote down. I got like eight pages of like just like quotes, man, like change the habit chain. Your culture is only as good as the behavioral and the tolerance. I'm just like, my team's going to get lit up at our next meeting. <laughs> all these quotes. Hey, it's, a lot to, it's a lot to come away uh, with a lot of pages of notes and a lot to think about and just – a lot bouncing around right now uh, as an owner, as an entrepreneur. Um, for people that want to find out more, that want to connect more, that want to reach out, how do, how do they find you? Sure. Uh, we have a real simple uh, email protocol. It's, it's dale.williams at, eos.com, at eosworldwide.com. So dale.williams at eosworldwide.com. Uh, and then on the EOS website, um, uh, you can kind of navigate to the find an implementer page and you know type my name in and um my, my website is kind of part of the eos worldwide site so um really proud of our organization uh i really believe in it and um you know we we are we are here to make this a little bit less painful for people because we've been there too and that's that's huge y'all, y'all helping people change their lives and live their dream life and build their dream business. And this, this podcast today is going to change lives. I'm just really grateful for you being a part of it and everything y'all are doing and just well, look forward to. I just, I'd, I'd do anything to come back to Athens a little bit more often. <laughs> <laughs> that means so, we'll invite him back to the podcast. That's right. we, may sure, take, yes. we may take you up on that. Well, so, it's uh, been an awesome conversation and really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to connecting more and learning more from you all. Super. Y'all have been great. Great questions. Um, thanks for having me. Thanks, Dale. All right, guys, until next time, grow stronger. We'll see you at the summit. If you enjoyed this episode of the Stronger Business Podcast, be sure to leave us a review and share it with a friend. You can find us online to connect at strongerbusiness.com or on Instagram and Facebook at Stronger Business. We look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you at the summit.